down, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 19. On the Sundays of the month when we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, over the last few weeks we've been looking at the seven last sayings of Christ, seven statements that Christ made as he hung on the cross. And today we come to the third of those seven statements. We've already looked at uh, Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And we looked last time at the interactions between Jesus and the, one of the thieves on the cross that hung there with him. And today we come to verses 25 to 27 of John chapter 19. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to your word today. Lord, we often find that our hearts are dull and cold, and our minds are closed and distracted. Pray, Lord, that the, the gospel message, the good news of Christ, would penetrate our hearts and our minds and encourage, exhort, and strengthen us, convict us of sin, help us, Lord, to be more like Christ in our lives. And for the lost, Lord, we pray that you would remove the blinders from their eyes and heart and draw them to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is one of those passages, if you were reading the especially if you're reading the entire chapter of John or reading through the account of the crucifixion of Christ, you might be tempted to just read over it. It's a nice detail. Uh, Isn't it wonderful that Jesus is concerned about his mother uh, as he's hanging on the cross? And you might move on to some of the other events that happen uh, around the crucifixion. Of course, there was a great earthquake. There was darkness. Uh, You had Roman centurions saying, surely this is uh, the Son of God. Uh, there's a lot going on there. But this little section, this, this little event that happens is extremely significant and is one of my favorite of the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. And uh, we want to think a, a bit about what is Jesus doing here and, and why is it significant? Because it is extremely significant what Jesus says and is doing in the words that he expresses here on the cross. We see as Jesus is dying on the cross, of course he's surrounded, surrounded by the crowds and these crowds closest to the cross include his mother who was among a group of women who were followers of Jesus and with them was a disciple, one of the disciples named John. 
the disciple whom Jesus loved. And as he is hanging on the cross, dying, he says to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he then says to John, Behold your mother. And we're told that John took Mary to live at his house from that day forward. And what Jesus is doing here is simply making sure that his mother is under someone's care, specifically this disciple that is told to us over and over that Jesus loves, someone that he particularly trusted, and so he entrusts Mary to John's care. We need to remember that in those days, of course, there was no social security or government benefits for widows and orphans and, and the elderly. Uh, you, if you survived your children and grew to old age, you were on your own and, and you were at the mercy of the charity of others. And so it was quite a precarious position to find yourself in to be an elderly person who could not support yourself. You needed to have some way if you had no family. Well, it is a beautiful and loving act of Jesus, even as he's hanging there, tortured and bleeding and taking his final breaths, he is fulfilling the fifth commandment that says, honor your father and your mother. To his mother, here he is showing love and faithfulness to her. It's a great example to all of us. Jesus shows us the extent of the fifth commandment. Even in our final moments, we are to make the effort to honor our parents. I want to make that sure that I note that over here to my children up there. <laughs> you never outgrow the commandment to honor your parents. This is true of, of all ages. But that's not the significance of this event. Uh, Jesus is not merely our example. He is our example, but not merely our example. Example, There is something of great significance in his act of caring for his mother, in his act of fulfilling the fifth commandment here on the cross. It points us to the signif significance and depth of what he's actually doing on the cross and throughout his entire life for that matter. In short, Jesus is providing what we would call a, a vicarious obedience, an obedience uh, in our place as a substitute. And to appreciate what Jesus is doing here, we need to understand something of the nature of the law. There are two aspects of the law. And when we talk about the law... There's, there's different categories of law, but any law, for that matter, uh, we, can, we can think of. Uh, in this case, we're talking about the moral law, the fifth commandment, uh, the, of the Ten Commandments. You see that any law has two aspects. It has positive demands and restrictions. That's one aspect. Of course, you, when you uh, hear a law, it ha there are duties you're supposed to perform. And there are other behaviors, behaviors that you're restricted from uh, engaging in. In the case of the fifth commandment, you are to positively, you're required to honor your father and mother, and you are forbidden from dishonoring them. If we looked at some of the other laws, so for example, you shall not murder. Of course, that's a restriction, but there's implied in it a positive command to promote life whenever you, uh, whenever you can, all the time. 
there's a, a command with a restriction, do not use the Lord's name in vain. But it also has a positive demand to treat the Lord's name with reverence. We could go through the whole list of laws and you would see that every law is a requirement that has positive demands and restrictions. But this is the first aspect of God's law. Uh, There are things the law requires, things the law forbids. Now the second aspect of the law of God is that it has penal sanctions or penalties for all infractions and shortcomings. You break the law, uh, there's a price to pay. You do the crime, you have to do the time, as the saying goes. That's what we're saying here. When it comes to God's law, the penalty for breaking it is just, but extremely and eternally serious. It says here uh, in Galatians 3.10, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And Paul's taking up a quotation from Deuteronomy there to prove a point. God is a holy God, and he demands perfection. And when we break a law, when we do not fulfill the requirement, or we violate the restriction, there is a penalty to be paid. And the Bible tells us that because God is holy and just, there is uh, an eternal and extreme penalty that has to be met. If you do not perfectly keep, the God, keep God's law, then you are in a condition of alienation from God. You are strangers. You're under his wrath and curse and liable to all the sanction, sanctions that God's law requires in this life and the next. See, he's an eternal God, so there are eternal consequences to violating his law. Every human being who's ever lived has not abided by everything written in the book of the law. No one here can raise their hand and say, I'm perfect. I've done it all perfectly. I've never, uh, I've never not done what I was supposed to do. Uh, I, I've, I've never broken the law. I've always positively fulfilled the laws. I'm perfect. None of us would even dare to say that. We're sinners, every one of us. Now, this type of talk irritates and rankles most Americans. We don't like to hear that. There are a lot of preachers who won't even talk about sin anymore because it's very unpopular and they want to be more positive about things. And Americans typically believe that if they are generally good and moral people, that God will be positively disposed towards them. As long as I'm you know, a nice person and somewhat moral, as moral as everybody else at least, if not a little bit better, then at the end of the day, uh, God's a nice fellow and he'll overlook my little peccadilloes and he'll welcome me in. That's the general consensus among people today, especially in America. God will just sweep those things under the rug. After all, they say, God is a God of love, isn't he? Well, certainly, God is a God of love. There's no doubt about it. He is love. 
But his love is not demonstrated by overlooking your so-called mistakes and shortcomings and sweeping them under the rug. His love is not demonstrated by giving you a pass. No. His love is demonstrated in a much more glorious, much more profound way. He himself has gone to great lengths to provide a way for cursed, sinful human beings to be saved from their sins, from the penalty of their sins. And it's not by ignoring their sin and sweeping it under the rug. In fact, it's why we celebrate Christmas. God himself took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Now, if he could just simply ignore sin or sweep it under the rug, then why did he have to go to so much trouble? Why did he bother coming to earth? And why did Jesus die on the cross if he could just sweep it under the rug? The answer is what we see happening here in John chapter 19, 25 through 27. The law has demands and restrictions. The law has sanctions when it is broken. Jesus is dying on the cross to bear those sanctions, to bear the punishment for sin, the sanctions that are against us. Christ, Paul goes on to say in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So the sanctions that are against us for breaking God's law, Christ bore that on the tree. He he bore the wrath of God as he was hanging on the cross. We'll look at it in a few weeks uh, when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, the reason, the answer to that question is he became sin for us. He bore our sins on the tree and the wrath of God was poured out upon him. He always knew fellowship with the Father, but at that moment, he's bearing the wrath of God on the cross. There's that that eternal love of the Trinity is, is broken. And the Father pours out the punishment that you and I deserve onto Christ. Christ bears the second aspect of the law, the sanctions for us, But that's not all he's done. Christ not only bore the sanctions, the curse of the law for us, that second aspect that I mentioned, but he also met the demands of the law, the first aspect of the law that I mentioned. You see, from the time he came to earth, the time he was born, to the very last moments of his life, Jesus Christ never once sinned in thought, word or deed not even in the intentions of his heart did he sin he did everything the law required and he never did anything that the law forbade now let's think a minute about the extent of his obedience first he kept the moral law the ten commandments he always loved the Lord his God with all of his heart soul mind and strength and loved his neighbors ourselves, which is a summation of the Ten Commandments the first four tell us how to love God the, the next six tell us how to treat others if you love them you don't kill them and you don't steal from them and you don't cheat on them and you don't lie about them etc 
So Jesus obeyed all those laws that he was subject to as a person, as a human being. And he also obeyed all the ceremonial laws since he was a Jew. He was conformed to it when he was circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, He strictly obeyed it going up to Jerusalem to the temple three times in the year, at at least after he was come to the age of 12 years, which was the uh, time when they became a man, so to speak, and would attend the temple. So Christ constantly attended the service of the temple and of the synagogues. So he was righteous in that aspect. He also submitted to John's baptism. You know, the Lord God had commanded the Jews to go forth to John the Baptist and be baptized by him for the repentance of their sins. And so when Jesus comes to John and he says, I want to be baptized, John protests and says, you should baptize me. I shouldn't baptize you. But what does Jesus say? He says he's going to do it to fulfill all righteousness. He's doing everything that human beings are commanded to do, that Jews were commanded to do. He's doing everything that the people living in that day were commanded to do in reference to John the Baptist. And then above that, he did everything his heavenly Father had commanded him to do as the mediator between God and a man, not as a Jew, not as a human, but the one who was called to come to earth to fulfill the law and to provide a sacrifice for human beings, to be a mediator between God and man. He was to go and preach the gospel, to work miracles, to call the disciples, to appoint ordinances, and finally he was called to lay down his life. And repeatedly he tells us that he came not to do his own will, but the Father's will. That's what it was. He's doing the Father's will. Always, 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 Jesus did everything right. He never did anything wrong. He always loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength and always loved his neighbor as himself. So he died to meet the sanctions owed by sinners like you and me and he fulfilled all the requirements of the law for us. Christ met the requirements of every law perfectly. And what we see here in John 19 is him doing that. Even as he is in his last moments taking the final breaths of his life, laying down his life under the wrath of God for sinners, he is still obeying. Now, if I was hanging on a cross and my mom was there at the foot, you would forgive me for not stopping and making sure that she had a place to go after I died, but Jesus sees his mother and he honors her to the very end. He fulfills the law to the, to the nth degree. It's a beautiful thing that's happening here. Even in that moment, as he's dying for us, he is living for us. So when we put our faith in Christ, when we turn to Christ, we get credit for his righteousness, and he gets credit for our sin. He pays the penalty for our sin and fulfills all righteousness for us. Now that, my friends, is love. Not this false idea that God will merely overlook and sweep under the rug our shortcomings. No, he came to earth and in a most glorious way 
provided for everything that we needed, sinful people such as we are. So what happens now? If you put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sins, if you turn to him, and that's all you have to do is turn to him and, and seek him out and ask him. And if you, you do that, all his righteousness is credited to your account before God. The result is that when you stand before God, you are declared righteous in his sight. Not for what you've done, but because of what Christ has done in your place. You have to your credit all of Jesus' good deeds. If your life was all written down in a record book, right next to the fifth commandment it says, uh, did he honor his mother and father? It would say, yes, even though I didn't honor my mother and father always because Christ did it for me. It's credited to my account. And where I didn't honor my mother and father, Christ paid for it on the cross. It's, it's cleansed, it's paid for, it's washed away. And that goes for every other commandment that we're liable for in our lives. And how do you get this something you didn't earn? Simply by turning to Christ. It's grace. It's a free gift. He's done it in your place. So if you're striving and, and working and trying to earn God's favor and trying to hope that you're good enough, stop it. I watched that Bob Newhart uh, you know, the little sketch uh, where uh, he's a psychiatrist and the lady comes in and uh, she wants some help and he says, you know, I only, it's only going to take five minutes and I only charge five dollars. And so she tells him his problem and, and all he says is, I want you to remember these two words. Just stop it. Just stop it. And he's like, but I can't. She says, stop it. Just stop it. Look, stop Stop trying to rely upon your own works and turn to Christ alone. He gives it to you by a free gift. How did the Father feel about Jesus? You know, when he looked down upon Christ in his entire life, we get uh, two times where the Father says something about the Son at the baptism of John and at the transfiguration. He says, the voice from heaven comes and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Uh, if, if you're united to Christ by faith, then that's how the Father feels about you, because you are credited with that righteousness of His. And your sins have been paid for by Him. That's something to rejoice in today. As we come to the table in just a few moments, we're going to be celebrating that, and I'll explain a little bit more about that in a moment. But let us pray together, and if you, you have not turned your uh, life over to Christ, if you've not turned to Him in faith, then I invite you to do so today. Cry out to Him and say, Lord, I need this salvation that you provided, and He will save you. And it's, you don't have to earn it, you don't have to check a box or, or do anything, just Anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a wonderful promise from the Lord, and you will not be cast to the side. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that all of our hearts would be encouraged today as we think about what you've done for us. Uh, Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to appreciate and be encouraged by the fact that you accept us. You're a, you are a God of love, and you've gone a great extent to show that and demonstrate that for us. 
And if we try to do it any other way, then we're, we're throwing your love to the side, trying to do it ourselves. So Lord, help us to let go of our ideas that you are some angry God at us and that we don't measure up and we just keep trying harder and failing. Lord, help us to remember that we are broken. We fall short. and We can't do it. And we need your grace. And Lord, I pray that you would empower us, each one. Give us faith to cry out to you and say, Lord, save me. Lord, strengthen me. Lord, give me what I need to be your child. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.